This TSN 1040 podcast is powered by Metro Ford. It's hard to beat a Metro Ford deal in Port Coquitlam and online at metromotors.com. This is Crown Countdown U Radio, Canada's home for college sports on the TSN Radio Network. Here's Jim Mullen and Mike Hogan. I'm Jim Mullen on the beautiful west coast of Canada in Vancouver. He's Mike Hogan in the center of the universe in Toronto. And this is another Ah. edition of Crown Countdown. You actually are final edition until we take a hiatus. And we fully intend to be back in about mid-August of this year as we get ready for another U-Sports football season. How has this run been for you, Hoagie? I've enjoyed it. Uh, quite immensely. I, I, it's it's exposure for not only youth sports, it's exposure for Canadians playing south of the border in the NCAA. I think, uh, I think this show, well, we'll do some fine-tuning when we get ready for the fall. We I will, think will we? Part, this is, well, <laughs> yeah, it, it might be me that's fine-tuned. Uh, but at, at the same time, um, you know, I, I, I was very happy with the, with the first several shows that we did. I, I thought it was a great run. Uh, what uh, do you make of um, the response that you've got on this show? Because I'm surprised in terms of uh, the response that I've got from different parts of the country. A uh, big response from Winnipeg, for example. A huge response mm-hmm. from Saskatchewan. Some of it not all that positive. Uh, That's fine. That's <laughs> and, fine. And, uh, and some good response from Ontario as well. Uh, you know, sometimes you work on university sports to promote it and you don't know if you are shouting into a vacuum or not sure and it's nice to hear that we have got response of some sort and that there is that level of caring out there the one thing that has surprised me and this happened more times than i can probably remember even though it's only been a couple of months where somebody has said you know i'm not necessarily a U sports guy but i was listening to your conversation about dot 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 and i couldn't turn it off like it was it was it was really interesting and that's really rewarding you know when we sit on this side of the mic all we want to do is is, is provide compelling conversation for those of you nice enough to be listening at this stage uh, and, and I think we did that whether or not people you know you sports is their cup of tea uh, for the most part if you're listening to the show it probably is but I, I think we peeled back enough layers of the onion that we could uh, we could get get up more than just sort of the uh, superfluous stuff when it comes to uh, when it comes to you sports we'll talk a little bit uh, about the CFL draft uh, a wind up on it with uh, Gord Randall in the National Roundtable mm-hmm. at the end of the show. Uh, your impressions on the CFL draft. Uh, I'll give you my pocket impression of it, which was this was more about talent than filling positions in the first round. Uh, usually we have that run on offensive linemen, uh, the mm-hmm. designated uh, Canadian position when it comes to the CFL draft. Sure, uh, That was kind of inverted this year, wasn't it? That was maybe if there was a surprise was that there was a very low number of alignment taken. And as you mentioned, that's that's the bread and butter of this draft. And it's not like there weren't good offensive linemen out there. Uh, maybe you had to maybe there's no perfect linemen out there. Uh, maybe the uh, be- best linemen are guys who have already committed stateside. But at the same time, um, you know, nothing surprised me per se in the first round, because as we mentioned over the last month or so, I had no idea what was going to happen. Uh, so it's really difficult to be surprised when you have no preconceived notion of what's about to occur. So I sat back there, and I, you know, I was watching with my wife, and I, I, I guessed, I was actually pretty good at my my, my guesses, uh, but at the same time, um, nothing really surprised me because I didn't know what to expect. 
Well, we'll talk a bit more about that with Gord Randall uh, towards the end of the show. We've got Gary Waterman coming up, the head coach of St. FX. He is at the East-West Bowl, and he is the head coach of the East team uh, playing in Quebec City this weekend. Uh, but first, uh, we caught up with Faith Akakate, the number one pick in the CFL draft this past weekend. He went to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, uh, played his full four years at Iowa as a defensive lineman, and this is what Faith had to say. Faith, I was going to ask what your reaction was when you were picked first overall, but you've probably answered that question a few times right now. I I want to know what your parents' reaction was when you were selected first overall. Um, I don't know. I couldn't tell you what their reaction was just because I was you know I didn't get a chance. I wasn't with them physically, unfortunately, um, at the moment. Um, but I think they're. You know, I think they're uh, just happy for me. Uh, they're just willing, you know, they're happy to, you know, see me going forward uh, with my life. And they they consider everything, every little thing, every little, every good thing that happens to me is considered a blessing. So I think, you know, they, um, I hope they just feel, you know, that I um, feel really blessed, from, feel that, I, that I'm really blessed right now. And, you know, just, you know, generally really happy for me. And, you know, they're going to gonna be supportive no matter, you know, what happens, you know, where I go or, I know what the situation. Have they made some sacrifices along the way? Uh, I mean, obviously, going south of the line for a parent—that's a huge sacrifice. Yes, definitely. The uh, going down to Iowa. Explain to me um, what the cultural adjustment was for a guy from Brampton to go into that culture, uh, both uh, both football-wise and outside of the stadium. Um. Well, I mean, first of all, I think the biggest, I for me personally, I had to make two different adjustments. The first being, you know, leaving home from Canada to go to the private school in Illinois. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, <laughs> I don't necessarily know how to <clears throat> describe. Actually, I do know how to describe. Um, going from the private school, going from, you know, Brampton, you know, it's a very diverse uh, city in itself. It's a lot bigger city, you know, it's a Lake Forest, Illinois. It's one of the private schools. You know, there's a drop in the, amount of diversity that you know was around me and you know just you know the level of i guess intellectual human beings that were there you know that increased a lot just because you know where there were a lot of smart human smart kids that went to that school and then from going there to iowa again you know go from a smaller town that i was used to to not necessarily a big city but bigger than lake forest obviously and uh it was definitely it was different just because you know Iowa, they don't have a pro football team here. So, um, you know, the University of Iowa football team, you know, any University of Iowa sports, we are the pro sport. So, you know, everyone, you know, not, they support us, like, uh, support us, you know, to the end of this world. And, you know, that I'm grateful for that. But at the same time, um, you know, with that blessing is a curse of, you know, everything that you do is un- essentially under a microscope. So, you know, you can't do – you can't get away with, you know – what a kid at, that might attend uh, Florida State might get away with. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if you get in trouble down at a bar, it's, it's gonna, you know, it's gonna be in the front page of the newspaper. You know, the next day, even if you're a reserve player that doesn't play a whole lot. So, just getting used to, you know, how uh, rabid the fans are about their football here, and uh, you know, just how seriously, you know, people take it here was 
but uh, it was an adjustment, but, you know, it, it, I made it eventually. It sounds like you've uh, had a lot of introspection along the way uh, after you went down to Academy and then uh, uh, went uh, NCAA Division One. How, how has this whole process over the last few years changed you as a person? Um, It forces you to, I mean, I think it forced me to learn that I have to take everything uh, with a grain of salt. Um, nothing is guaranteed, absolutely, absolutely nothing is guaranteed. That's probably the biggest thing that I, you know, took away from it. Um, you know, just because you know I came in with a whole lot of different people, and uh, a lot of a lot of them, you know, you know, a lot of them weren't, you know, around by the time, you know, everything, things were all said and done. And I think, yeah, like I was saying, you know, take nothing for granted and nothing's guaranteed because just like that, um, you know, things can be taken from you just like you know with things can be taken from you very very quickly. Yeah, now you're making the uh, transition to Pro Bowl, and uh, things can be taken away from folks in Pro Bowl in quite a hurry. Uh, what sort of adjustments do you think that you have to make as a player to get up to the next level? I don't know. That's, and I'll be very honest with you, I, I don't know what adjustments I need to make, and I think that's part of the experience. I think that's part of you know what makes certain people successful and what you know how you know certain people go off the path. I think it's who which players can make those adjustments quickest to, you know, help them be successful. But like I'll say, I haven't done this. If I was just to tell you that I, I knew what I was getting myself into, I'd be a liar because I don't. And uh, I think that's part of the, that's, you know, part of the exciting part about this, that, you know, jumping face first, head first into something that you don't really know if, you know, you're ready for it. But, you know, obviously, you, you know, you have, have faith in God, um, have a great, uh, Family around this family supporting me, and you know, I, hopefully, I can hopefully I can be successful further down the road. But yeah, you don't, we don't. Nobody knows what you. Nobody knows what I'm getting into, and but uh, hopefully things turn out for the best. Is, is this the same feeling that you had going from uh, uh, Lake Forest Academy up to uh, Iowa, or is this something different? Um. I guess you could say it's pretty similar, actually. Um, you know, from the from the you know foundations of things, it is pretty similar. You know, going from one place to another. You know, you expecting to being expect being expect expectations being that I'm going to go in and you know hopefully contribute um, right away. So it is pretty similar. What sort of guidance have the uh, bombers provided uh, to you through this uh, process? Uh, Obviously, uh, you were in their sights uh, from a long time out, three-year contract already done uh, on the day of the draft. Um, what sort of guidance have they given you uh, personally and professionally? Um, they've been, so far, they've been really supportive. Um, obviously, there's only so much they can do, you know, being out here in Iowa. But, uh, you know, I've been in touch with guys like uh, Darren, the PR department, and guys like Matt, and they've any questions that I've asked, um, they've answered. They've answered pretty quickly. Even like players, I've, you know, I've reached out to players, uh, and uh, you know, and because obviously everyone's going to have questions. And, um, but any questions that I've had, they've answered, and I, you know, I'm really, uh, really appreciative. You know, that alone. What's it going to be like being a full time Canadian again? <laughs> I think it'll. <laughs> I don't think it'll be any different than being a full-time uh, American visitor. 
<laughs> uh, uh, tell me about, uh, before we let you go here, making the shift back from uh, uh, four downs to three downs. Uh, it's probably been quite some time since you played uh, three-down football with a yard off the ball. Um, what sort of adjustments do you think you're going to have to make at that level? Um, well, first of all, I'm going to make sure I'm not allowed to play. Uh, first and foremost, uh, and then secondly, just you know, getting. I think uh, it'll just take time. You know, um, I think playing football for so long, you kind of have a. You know how they say quarterbacks kind of develop like an internal clock of like when they need to get the off and whatnot. When you know during a play, I think uh, you know defensive linemen and defensive players, you kind of develop like a rhythm, an internal clock, and knowing you know what the down distance is. And I think that you know that eventually would help us get into the rhythm of the game. So I think uh, after playing for a little bit, playing three down football for a while, I th- I'm hoping that you know I'll just get into the rhythm, into the rhythm of things really well over over the course of time. Faith, it's always good to talk to a player that's uh, candid and straight up. I appreciate that. Thanks very much for this. Thank you for having me. Our thanks to Faith Akakate, the number one pick in the CFL draft, for coming on. He's on his way from Iowa to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers to play on the defensive line. When we return, we will look at the Valero East-West Bowl coming up in Quebec City with the coach of the East team, and he's also coach of St. FX, Gary Waterman, when we return on KCU Radio on the TSN Radio Network. Welcome back to Crown Countdown U Radio on the TSN Radio Network, brought to you by Crown Produce. Man, I love them cherry tomatoes. Uh, Jim Mullen along with Mike Hogan, and we're going to talk a little East-West Bowl and a little SFX football with Gary Waterman, the head coach of the X-Men and the head coach of the East team in the Valero East-West Bowl. Uh, Gary's joining us from Quebec City. Uh, Gary, uh, thanks for uh, joining us. Oh, well, pleasure to be here. It's a, it's a busy, busy time with this uh, East-West game. Uh, tell me about the process of putting a whole team together in a very short week. Yeah, you're right. It's uh, I talked to them from day one about the challenges of, of doing that. You have guys from uh, different teams and who've been coached a certain way and run certain systems, and They've, uh, they come from all across the country, and they've got to come together in a short time, four days of practices and six practices. And really, it just, it's about trying to come together and play together, as we've been telling them all week, and gelling and getting to know each other and bond in that short time. Coach, we know what the players get. They get a, a week of fantastic coaching. They get the opportunity to strut their stuff on game day. Coaches are always learning. What do you personally think you're going to get out of this week? Oh, it's a fantastic week. I mean, it, you, you, the collegiality, the interaction amongst the coaches, and, you know, even uh, first thing you do is you pick your coordinators, and then you get a chance to see them work. And then you've got your position coaches, and you watch them, and you have CFL guys here. So for me as a, as a head coach, you know, coaches, coaching is always about, like you said, learning, and I'm taking in everything I can from the guys. And even being on Laval's campus and their facilities and how they go about uh, structuring things and, their, and, and the way they, they, they're organized, uh, it's all been a great experience. These are players going into their draft year, going into their fourth year of uh, youth sports play. Um, what players should we look out for uh, that you've seen in camp and that you've had an opportunity to evaluate so far? 
Oh, so many. I mean, it's hard to even leave anybody out. But I can tell you, I mean, both quarterbacks, Nate Hobbs and Hugo Richard, have been fantastic all week. Uh, there's an outstanding receiver receiving core. Uh, uh, you know, Tyrone Pierre's looked good. Uh, you know, secondary, there's there's a bunch of playmakers there. I mean, as I said, it's really difficult to sort of you know highlight one or two guys. But I can tell you, uh, I've been very impressed with the athleticism, the enthusiasm, the way they 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 play the game and their approach. Uh, they're open to learning and they're taking in all the all the coaching points from other coaches and it's just uh, it's, it's you know as a coach you recruit a lot of these guys and then you don't get them or you get them and then then you don't see them again so to get a chance to see them back uh, you know um, and working it, it's pretty uh, pretty neat to see. One of your kids who went through this process uh, just saw you know a year later it all culminate in him being drafted by the Hamilton Ticats uh, third round. What can Ticat fans, and we're on in Hamilton right now, what can Ticat uh, fans expect out of Kay Okafor? Well, Kay, as I said before, Kay is just, uh, you know, he's an outstanding person. He's a very explosive athlete, uh, very coachable. Uh, he's graduating this year, and, you know, he's leaving on a, you know, a high note where he's gotten so much better every year he's been there, and he's raw. So I think uh, you're going to see a guy who's going to improve real quick under the tutelage of some of those top CFL coaches, and, you know, when his level gets an opportunity to play at that high level, I think he's going to even excel, excel more. I saw a tweet out there about Kay for and him graduating with his parents present, and that was one of the big payoffs, I think, for you as a coach to see him succeed as a student as well as an athlete. He took an interesting path. Uh, starting football at Holland College. And, and Holland College kind of saved the university career of Vernon Sandville as well. What are they doing over there in the AFL uh, on Prince Edward Island that uh, uh, gives a great starting point for some of these players? Well, you, I mean, you mentioned it. It's right. They, they've, uh, they had a really great stretch of just finding those guys from uh, programs or areas where, you know, who needed just another year for development or just maturation or or even some uh, an academic uh, restart. And uh, they've done a great job, all credit to them, to find some really talented players. There's another guy we had, Demetrius Ferguson, was from there. We had multiple players from there who had been very good, who maybe been under the radar, but we got an eye on. And really, uh, they turned out to be very productive for us. Vernon Sainville and K.O. were two of the top players from there. We're talking with Gary Waterman, the head coach of the X-Men from St. FX here on KCU Radio on the TSN Radio Network. And, uh, uh, Gary, let's talk a little bit about your program and uh, and where it's going. A number of losses in the uh, offseason. Uh, how has recruiting gone in the offseason for you guys? Oh, we're extremely happy with the recruiting. I mean, uh, you know, we started off with... Uh, definitely trying to find fill some holes from some big losses. We have players on our team that you know they're getting an opportunity to step up and show us what they can do. But you know, from a recruiting standpoint, you want to get you want to fill the spots and get depth in areas where you think you know you've lost players over the years. I'm I'm really happy with the recruiting class we've got. We're bringing in some outstanding young uh, young student athletes that I think are going to contribute some a little earlier than others. But uh, the class is uh, pretty good. Uh, Gary, I have to ask you, speaking of losses, uh, Bob Mullen leaves as your defensive coordinator. He's a native of Kingston, Ontario. So am I. And did you feel you were down a Kingston native, so you went out to bring in Warren Goldie as your offensive coordinator? <laughs> oh, these Kingston plugs. Oh, we man, stick together. Alive. We stick together, man. <laughs> That's funny you said that. Pat Sheehan uh, from Queens had mentioned that to me today. About, we had that little chat, too, and I laugh about it. No, you know, it's just one of those way- things that worked out. Actually, when Bob was with me, he mentioned uh, – 
he had mentioned uh, Warren Goldie about maybe bringing him out as a guest coach at one point. So I already had Warren Goldie's name on my radar, and <laughs> and so this opportunity, uh, uh, you know, when I uh, had a couple of changes uh, at the coordinating positions, I knew Warren was one of the guys I wanted to target, and uh, I heard really good things about him as a person and, and some of the things he's done. So Bob actually helped on that front and uh, opened the door and made a connection, and then uh, I got a chance to uh, to interview him and uh, really thought he fit well with us. How do things change with bishops coming on to the scene for you guys uh, in terms of travel, in terms of logistics, and in terms of competition uh, with a five-team AUS this year? Well, I think it's a great thing for our, our, our conference. And number one is, you know, we're already traveling to Quebec. I know, albeit uh, every other year in the last recent years, but, but uh, you know, to know where you're going helps you in planning and uh, and to know that you've got another team coming in, you know, get that home-and-home home, uh games against teams it avoids us playing teams three and four or sorry four four times in the season so i think it's really neat uh they're they're a good program they're like-minded school same philosophies and from an educational and size standpoint and and uh, so i think they're going to be a huge addition they'll be a very good team they'll raise the level of our competition with their with their recruiting and our kids uh you know having to sort of elevate their game as well Coach, we don't have to go back that far uh, in the past where SMU was uh, the alpha dog in the country and, and teams feared playing uh, teams from the AU in the, uh, in the uh, semifinal. Bit of a down cycle right now for the conference. What do you have to do to get back uh, into a role of national prominence? Well, I think uh, the key is it starts with, you know, just uh, getting good quality student-athletes that are going to be there for four, four and five years and building depth. Uh, you know, usually the line of scrimmage is one of the big things uh, – uh, making sure you when you get outside your conference and you play, uh, you know the top teams. The, the one thing you notice right away is how big and deep they are on the line of scrimmage. Uh, and uh, so, you know, from an AUS conference, I think that's where it starts. Is we have to make sure that we continue to build and, and, and get uh, depth and size along the line of scrimmage. That gives us a chance to compete down in the trenches. We know we all know how important that is down there. Uh, and I think once we close that gap, you'll see you'll see more more success and. Uh, but again, we've got to continue to recruit and we've got to continue to keep our kids in school and promote our product. Gary, thanks very much for this. We appreciate you taking time out from a very busy schedule coaching the East team at the Valero East-West Bowl uh, in Quebec City this weekend. Thanks very much for this. Thanks for having me. So coming up, we will have a guy you haven't heard on the show yet. Usually he's on this show, but he's going to be on the National Roundtable Gord Randall as we break down the CFL draft and we look ahead to the biggest challenge facing U Sport. You are listening to KCU Radio on the TSN Radio Network. The Crown Countdown U Roundtable is now in session on the TSN Radio Network. And it is the final roundtable until mid August here on KCU radio on the tsn radio network brought to you by crown produce so for this we decided to bring in our own designated loudmouth gord randall uh who's usually in the editorial position uh gord good to have you on the round table good to have you jim but i thought that you were the designated loudmouth no no <laughs> we take turns <laughs> we take turns yeah yeah and, and those turns can be uh taken all oh, about once every 30 seconds yeah. That uh, works. Yeah. <laughs> Hang on, whether we're facing a right-handed or left-handed pitcher. <laughs> uh, let's let's move on. Let's move on to the CFL draft because I know you did some great work on the CFL draft, uh, Gord, for our uh, preview show uh, on uh, KCU TV. 
And, you know, you were the one that came out and said that there would be two Canadian trained receivers taken in the first round. Did you even, though, think that we would have two Canadian trained receivers taken in the top five positions? Uh, well, I kind of did. Um, the way I, the Lions picked did not surprise me. They were up at three. I felt like they would choose their preference of those top two receivers on the board. Now, I went in the other direction with that. I thought that Nate Bahar was a closer comp to the guy they were losing in Sean Gore. So I thought that they might prefer him. Uh, they decided that they preferred, to, pre- preferred Danny Vandergort instead which is great. And I actually thought that Hamilton was going to pick a receiver right after them, hoping that it was Vandervoort, but willing to take Bahar as well because they don't know what's going on with Andy Fantuz. They don't have – that's probably the one uh, traditional national position they don't have a lot of depth at right now. So I actually felt that both those guys would go within the top four. And uh, I know that one of our colleagues, who shall remain nameless, thought that was a bit of a stretch – but uh, I'm I'm probably one of the least surprised people out there that both of these guys went as high as they did. And, and I'm with you. And I, I don't know how many times over the last few weeks when we're doing this, uh, I was saying, you know, I've, I've watched U Sports, CIS, CIAU long enough, and CFL that, you know, if, if these two guys weren't both first-round draft picks, I think I've been watching the wrong sport for the last few years. Um, th- th- these guys are just absolutely spectacularly talented, different style receivers, but both very, very, very good, and both have very good upside. Maybe Bahar's upside is a little higher. Maybe Vanderwert's a quote-unquote safer pick, but both are going to play in the CFL for a long time. So it, it doesn't surprise me even slightly uh, that the, the two guys uh, who are both going to be very dynamic within the red zone uh, are going to be playing in the in the CFL, and we're both first round picks. So I'm with you 100, percent Gordy. I just I didn't see why uh, some of the mocks early on had had neither one of them in the first round. That didn't make any sense at all. Mm-hmm. Well, and and one of the things I heard leading up to the draft about Nate Bahar in particular that surprised me was that I heard some rumblings that some of the teams didn't really like the way he came across in interviews. Uh, now I'm not a football talent evaluator, and I I don't know a lot of the in depth stuff about psychologically what they're looking for here but knowing Nate a little bit myself having had some interactions with him that shocked me and I'm glad that that didn't make him fall uh very far because I I believe that he will succeed at the next level here but but if you talk to Steve Samara and I you know I write for OUA.ca and 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 speak to 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 go smart a couple of times a year is one uh, one for a a preview uh you know of, of each team and I can't tell you how glowing he is in his comments about him not only as a receiver but as a person and he said he's got a very big personality and to some it comes across as cocky but he's not he's just a a really confident kid um so maybe that's where some people had him rub them the wrong way maybe because they didn't know enough about him but you know these guys are interviewed so much and coaches are talked about you know you sports uh, coaches are talked about uh are talked to rather so much by scouts, you think that would come out. But uh, if there's a way that it maybe that was a negative, that would be the only one that I could think of. And, Mike, we've had him on the show before, on the yeah. on the TV version of the yeah. show, and he was a fantastic interview. Absolutely. And if there's anything that we need to do in Canadian football right now, it's have a little bit of salesmanship and have a little bit of sizzle to the steak, and that is what Nate Bahar brings. Fans at Edmonton are going to love this guy. Absolutely. If, if he can play the way he's capable of playing – He's going to produce on the field, and he's going to have a little sizzle to go with the steak, and there's nothing wrong with that. 
The other thing I really like about Nate Bahar, too, is that coming into that Carleton program as a brand-new program in its infancy, mm-hmm. he was thrown into a bit of a leadership role right from the very beginning and has as much experience, if not more experience, than anybody else in this class at having that leadership position and having sometimes, frankly, where he ended up having to carry his team on his back. And this was a guy, you know, if we're going to go down history books, um, what you mentioned he was a first-year guy with Carlton. Um, here's here's a team that you knew they were going to get the rear ends handed to them the first couple of years, and the first year specifically they did. But here's one of the highest recruited kids in the province from London, and he decided to go to a team that had no hope of winning in the first year or the second year or likelihood the third year, and he could have gone to Western really, really easily and decided, no, I don't want to hop on the bandwagon. I want to build it. And I, I think that's absolutely a testament to, to what this kid's character is all about. I want to shift it up a little bit to my biggest disappointment of the draft. And I think it says something about the CFL going into a post-John Cornish era. Uh, Andrew Harris really being the only Canadian running back left standing. When Johnny Augustine, who dominated the combine somehow does not get drafted there were only two real running backs that were drafted in this cfl draft and how augustine could not be one of them completely baffles me gord i'm shocked by that and i'm shocked in particular that winnipeg with the aforementioned andrew harris didn't take a mid-round pick on johnny augustine to build their depth at that spot because we saw them go with just two national offensive linemen last year making use of that ratio flexibility that Harris offered them, I felt like they would build up the depth of that spot, especially when Augustine started falling. I mean, when you get into those fourth and fifth rounds, you're seeing teams that are just swinging for the fences with picks. I'm surprised that that team in particular, and I liked a lot of what Winnipeg did. Uh, Mm -hmm. I talked to a couple of supporters, and I told them I really like what they did, but that surprised me that they didn't pick up Johnny Augustine when he started falling to the mid and late rounds. And the, the problem with not having, for those who don't follow the CFL, the problem with not having the, the Canadian backup to the Canadian starter is you have to make other changes uh, if you want to sub a guy in. I remember when, when Jesse Lumsden was starting in Hamilton, they didn't have a Canadian backup for him. And what they would do is if, if they needed to take Lumsden out, even for a player three, he'd come out and so would an American offensive lineman and an American running back would go in, and he'd be joined at the hip, essentially, by a Canadian offensive lineman. So they had they had to make the switch for switch, not just for position, but for ratio purposes. They had to have to sub in an American. Well, you got to make another change somewhere else. So it makes a hell of a lot of sense, maybe too much sense, that you, that you have a, a, a really good uh, young Canadian running back in Johnny Augustine backing up Harris. It made too much sense. Maybe they figured they could sign him afterwards. Maybe they got a uh, had a hunch that nobody else was going to pick him because there wasn't really a need. So maybe maybe he, that's where he's going to sign. As, as of the time that we're putting the show together, he had not signed anywhere. So uh, I, I hope he signs very soon, and I hope it's with a team that's going to give him a fair chance to start. Well, or at it, least dress. Well, usually uh, you get into situations with Canadian running backs, especially on the three-down side of the game, where they're used mainly as running backs and pass pro isn't something that is really dialed up with them. But Augustine was pancaking guys in one-on-ones at the Combine. And he's more than willing to play. And he wants to play specials. Yeah. That's the other thing. He's a a hell of an athlete. Um, You think that he'd be able to to find a home somewhere on special teams. So 
I don't. I don't know. I just, I'm. I'm with you and Gord. I just. I don't get this one. Gord, is the Canadian running back dead in the CFL? Then uh, is it is it going to be that much harder for uh, running backs coming out of U Sports or even the NCAA to uh, find a way onto a CFL lineup? Well, I, I think that this we've been talking and debating that storyline around for as long as I can remember. I mean, the the only two Canadian running backs to really make a consistent mark in the league in the last 15 years or so have been Jesse Lumsden, who universally is considered probably the greatest CIS running back of all time, and then Andrew Harris, who's kind of an anomaly that slipped through the cracks and, and cut his teeth and almost got cut by the BC Lions two or three times and managed to turn things around and, and make his mark that way. But it's, it's the exception to the rule, these guys, uh, and that's been for a while now, so I don't know this is a new development to say that. But it's also when you know when they brought Cornish up here, the same thing. Here's a guy when he was at Kansas was better known for his special teams play than his running ability. Uh, that's what was going to get him into the NFL, and it was almost like okay, uh, Barker was the general manager at the time, uh, who was really high on him before the draft. Uh, but I, I don't know if in his wildest dreams you'd expect Cornish to, to pull off the career he did. So even the guys that are pro CFL in a non traditional quote unquote Canadian position in that league uh there aren't a lot of guys who are willing to go outside the box and um we've seen three definite difference makers even though one was you know had his career cut short by injuries um there have been two difference makers in the last decade and there are more kids if they're given a chance that can at least play at the cfl level there's no question about that gord what's your uh, other uh, biggest surprise of the cfl draft uh, some people might point to the herdman's going uh, sub-50 uh, in terms of uh, being selected in the draft. I, I was actually not all that surprised by that. Um, you know, their uh, their combine numbers weren't all that impressive. Uh, any other surprises for you? Well, with the Herdmans, the thing that was most surprising for me is that uh, Justin went before Jordan with teams valuing, uh, looked like at least, projectability above uh, college performance. But for me, by far the biggest surprise has to be this Eddie Meredith story. What a strange story this is. A guy who spent all last year out of football. It had been reported to anybody with an ear to the ground that he was retired from football altogether. It seems like Chris Jones did his homework on him uh, in Saskatchewan, talked to him multiple times, decided he was uh, legitimate about wanting to get back into football and spent, I think it was a fifth-round draft pick on him, maybe a fourth. Um, and then all the stuff that came out afterwards, we had a couple of reports that he was down as low as 225, 230, 240 that uh, were later retracted. Chris Jones himself said, he's, no, he's holding at 315. Nobody seems to know what the heck is going on with this guy. That, to me, is by far the, not only the biggest surprise, but one of the strangest stories I've seen in a few years. And, you know, they they got it was a fourth-round pick, and they got Tony O'Claire in the same uh, round. So if those two guys pan out, if, if O'Claire doesn't make it south of the border, Holy smoke, could that be a good uh, good draft for the Saskatchewan Roughriders? Yeah, I mean, uh, that's, that's those are the rounds where you start to take futures. And, I, I mean, if you've got two picks in the same round, I don't know that you, you wasted on only a future asset on both of those picks because you are, like, Eddie Merritt is going to take a while to get back into it if he ever does. So you've got two guys in that round that you can just about 100% guarantee you're not going to make an impact on your team day one. And when you're the Saskatchewan Rough Riders who are, need to improve probably more than anybody else in this league for maybe Toronto, Montreal, 
um, like you need some guys who are going to give you some kind of an impact in year yeah. one, I would think. And if we could give another shout-out to another guy that uh, went fairly down on the draft. I was I was happy just to see him drafted. And without trying to wait, raise uh, sorry raise the Carlton banner here again, uh, Tunde Adeleke is one of the one of my favorite guys to watch in the league over the last handful of years. Um, you know, another non traditional Canadian position at DB, and all he did on specials was return kicks for touchdowns. And I just, I'm glad somebody's giving him a chance. In this case, it's the Calgary Stampeders. I hope he makes the rosters uh, roster, and I hope he plays uh, because he was just so damn much fun to watch. Uh, I, I hope he's got a good long pro career ahead of him. I was a little surprised that he went uh, two ahead of Robert Woodson, uh, yeah, the yeah. former Canada West uh, Defensive Player of the Year, great defensive halfback uh, out of Calgary, uh, who was picked with the first pick of the fourth round. Uh, let's uh, shift it back a bit to U Sports. Uh, obviously, you know, here we are. We're working hard to try to create some sort of spotlight for university sports in Canada through this radio show. Uh, I'm not sure if there's too many other media outlets that, that really do that on a regular basis. It's uh, very regionalized. Uh, what, um, Gord, do you think is the biggest single challenge this year facing you sports football, either between the lines or outside of the stadium? Well, I'm a little bit biased on this take, but based on the recent news coming out of Shaw um, and some of the rumblings around the Sportsnet deal, it's got to be finding a media platform that works for them across Absolutely. the country. No uh, if not to broadcast games themselves, but to at least broadcast coverage. Uh, now, I, I know that we have achieved, with the show that we put on, we have achieved a pretty diehard niche audience, and risking losing that would be possibly a death knell for the youth sports level. Uh, and it, it's something that they really need to address uh, really quickly. When, when you're desperate to try and grow your brand, you need as many eyes on the product as possible. How many times do we watch a Vanier Cup, it's a great game, and we, we sit and we have a beer afterwards and go, damn, now the momentum has stopped. Now it's up to U Sports to make sure that they can get as many eyes on the product as possible. If that's doing the deal with Rogers, if that's doing a deal with TSN, if that's uh, finding a way for Shaw or some other independent uh, uh, television station, CHCH, to get more games on, they have to do it. You can have the best product in the world, but if nobody's watching it on television, it doesn't really matter. It becomes a friends and family league. Hell, schools are finding it difficult enough to get their, their, their current student body out to games. Why should somebody care outside the CIS or, or sorry, the U Sports world if the people inside can't get a decent television deal done? It's paramount that that gets done. I don't care where it is. I don't care if I'm a part of it, but it's got to be somewhere on national television. Well, you got to be a part of it, Hoagie, first and foremost. But also, I've uh, talked with Graham Brown a number of times here over the last few weeks. He understands this, and he's working very hard behind the scenes to try to come up with a solution. But to place all of the emphasis on Hughes Sports, which, quite frankly, only has three games to manage, and they can create opportunities for conferences, uh, in the regular season and with their championships, it only goes back to those three games that they can manage. Uh, you know, so that being said, how much of the onus is on 
the conferences to do something about this. Like, we talk about youth sports as this all-knowing being, but really it's an inverted pyramid when it comes to its structure and where the power is. The conferences really have to step up, and the individual schools really have to step up in some sort of sense to make things happen. I agree, and that's a great segue into where I was going to go next, which is I believe that in in the vein of this more aggressive marketing strategy – that the conferences need to put together uh, consortiums to work on a cohesive marketing strategy and work on expanding uh, their ideas with regards to marketing the games. They need to recognize that the regular season schedule in these conference games are not televised products, likely, okay, and that they need to get more people into the stadium and that that's not an individual school issue, that that's a conference-wide collective issue. And now it's getting the conferences to play nice in the sandbox as well, which is never easy to do. So um, there, there is a way to get this done. There has to be a roadmap. And now it's just getting everybody to, to start following that same crooked road to the same location. Well, there may be a roadmap for interlocking play in 2018. Oh, but uh, we, Are you confident? Uh, uh, let's put it one this to, way. One to, one to ten. How confident are you that it'll get done? <sighs> oh, I'll give you a very honest answer at this stage. 6.5. Okay. Now the heart says ten. We know. Yeah. Why do you say six point five? Uh, it's uh, really up to one of the parties to step up and be more assertive in this, and I won't identify which party it is. Okay. But I know there's one conference that is fully charged up and fully engaged in it. There's mm-hmm. another one who has expressed interest that doesn't know which way they want to go on it and has stalled for time and. <laughs> With a project project this big, you can't stall for time. It it, it takes a lot to roll something like this out. Is the reason or are the reasons they're stalling for time in your eyes, are they legitimate concerns? Uh, Somewhat legitimate. But, you know, if you're talking about interlocking football, okay, and if travel cost is a concern, why then? Which is a a legitimate concern. It's a legitimate concern. But how can the OFC in the CJFL afford to engage in a full interlock yeah. with the Prairie Football Conference this year <laughs> when they, I mean these are organizations in some cases that can't afford shoelaces sure. but they can find a way to expand their game and travel and get on the road and try to grow the game and try to grow a national footprint even even doing so without television that they're taking a bold step forward because they know they need to take a bold step forward. The well, one thing that the one thing that has to be broken in, in all of this, and one of the reasons why I shifted back to the conferences and the schools, is that there is security in these departments, and with security you have complacency. Mm-hmm. And, and you know what? With our sport right now, there is no reason, no reason in the world. To be complacent. Yeah, we got a great product, but no, we aren't drawing fans in. And if you look at the sport on a broader basis, we need to ensure that at the amateur level, it's charged up and very visible so kids get involved in the game because those registration numbers are also down in a number of places across this country as well. But this is selling it. And let's say we have the Gord Randall Television Network, right? And and it's it wants to get involved with this this game. You are going to get greater viewership. If it is University of Calgary versus McMaster, 
as opposed to just having an all OUA game, all West Coast game, all you exactly. know, Quebec game, Two all regions. OU game. That's what works for the Absolutely. CF. Absolutely. And yeah. it's going it's really going to help your numbers. And it just makes so damn much sense. And right now we're going to with the concept of the Northern Eight, the Northern Ten, whatever it may be, there are haves and have nots right now in every conference. So it shouldn't be that difficult for the haves who have strong alumni bases to be able to go out and raise a few more bucks. Go out and have another golf tournament. You know, there's there's a lot of your travel budget right there. Uh, there are ways to do this. Find those well, uh, well, uh, you know, uh, healed uh, alumnus that, that have something to do with the football program and get them involved. There are ways to do it. Is it a lot more work? Hell yes. But you know what? Doing this the right way isn't easy. It's not going to be easy, and it's not supposed to be easy. Find the people out there who give a damn about the interlock conference concept and get them involved. Gord, final thoughts? Uh, well, uh, just to pick up on the back end of Hoagie's thought there, I agree to a large extent. I actually think that the best business model would be those televised games being a combination of interconference games and some of those regional rivalries. Like, I would love to tune in and see a Laval-Montreal game if I'm out west and I'm not seeing a lot of those teams. Are there you enough know, of I'm you, out, though? <laughs> Are there enough of you maybe, to make that work? That's the question. Maybe there aren't, at least initially, but I think that's a good way to sprinkle in some of that regional content yeah. as well. The other thing sure. that would be nice would be if schools challenge their football programs to operate independently of the greater athletic department. And I think that feeds into Jim's uh, point about there being complacency in a lot of these places. That's mm-hmm. one of the reasons I think why those junior clubs have been able to make the, inter- the uh, interconference thing work, the interlock thing work, is because those are independent businesses that need to make their business work, otherwise they fold. Well, yeah, and I think it's time to uh, start treating some of these football programs in a lot more of a business-like manner. Gord, thanks for joining us in this segment. Appreciate it, and I appreciate your uh, contributions all through the year to uh, KCU. Here, here. No no problem, gentlemen. Much appreciated. Always love being on with you. Hoagie, so that does it. I hear the horn going off in the background. That does it. For a, for, well, until our hiatus, until we come back in uh, in August, any uh, final thoughts? Yeah, uh, thank you for, for, for working so hard to get this up. The, uh, the, the, the television show has been a success for quite some time. I thought this was uh, a much-needed void to be filled for youth sports football fans and other fans of other sports across the country, primarily football, though, with, with our you know, bread and butter. Um, so I thank you for doing that, and I thank everybody who listened every week and gave us feedback. We, I can tell you that we really enjoy putting this show together, and uh, the fact that anybody enjoys it uh, uh, half as much as we enjoy doing it, that's, that, that's about the nicest compliment we can get. So we'd like to thank Faith Akakate for coming on earlier in the show, as well as Gary Waterman. But as we wind up this spring edition of KCU, our special thanks to Mike Hogan, Andrew Wadden, Gord Randall, and David Dubé, who's the sponsor of this operation. This is Jim Mullen saying, let's get out to the game.
This TSN 1040 podcast is powered by Metro Ford. It's hard to beat a Metro Ford deal in Fort Coquitlam and online at MetroMotors.com.